to the South Cliff Podcast. We're glad you've joined us. Now, here's Senior Pastor Dr. Carol Marr with this week's sermon. Today, I'm excited about the opportunities before us. In fact, today, uh, I want to begin a new sermon series that will last throughout this month uh, titled, uh, A Savior Who is Christ the Lord. And I want to answer a couple of questions through our time together over the next few weeks. And the question that I want to entertain in our time together today is, why do we need a Savior? Now, it's true at this time of year. Uh, we are familiar with the phrase, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. We, we know uh, and celebrate the birth of Jesus in song and in drama and in stories that we read and see, events that we attend. We celebrate the birth of Christ and we remember with the nativity scene, even the words that the angels spoke to the, to the shepherds when they were on the hillside on the night of Jesus's birth. Uh, Behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now it's interesting, the angels tell the shepherds who the Savior is, Christ the Lord. But he doesn't say why he came. Now we know who the Savior is. He's the star attraction. It's the baby in the manger. But why did he come? In fact, I believe that question is the most important question that we have to answer today. Because understanding the answer to that question I believe is the only way to make sense of Christmas. It's the only way to really understand why we have a Savior, is to understand why we need a Savior. In fact, I brought something with me to kind of help answer that question. Um, In fact, you know, as a pastor, I want to try to help you every way I can and encourage you and strengthen you, and I try to go above and beyond. And, and so I just brought, listen, perfect Christmas gift for that hard-to-buy-far person. You know that person that's got everything, right? That they don't have this. That person that you can't figure, and let me also tell you this, not a supply chain problem. They're in stock. You can get them in different sizes, made from different things, even in different color combinations. You're welcome. (laughs) Now, what would you think if I were to show up at your door and say, you know what, I've been thinking about you this week. You have blessed my heart this year. Merry Christmas. And I give you this. Now, most of you would probably graciously say, thank you, pastor. And after I leave, you would look at your wife or your husband and say, we knew it. He's been slipping for a while. And here he is confirming, you know, and, and then you would look at each other and say, what do we do with this thing, you know? 
Now, some of you might actually be excited. I mean, you've got a nautical theme in one of your rooms, and you can hang it on the wall, and, and man, that is really cool. And, and for others of you, maybe the kid would want it. I'll put it in my room, and this is kind of a fun piece. And some of you would try to, you know, we could put some greenery on it and put it on the door, um, you know, make a wreath out of it or something. But, uh, but for the most part, it would probably end up in the garage and maybe eventually in a garage sale. But let's change the setting. Let's just suppose you and I went fishing in the Gulf. And we're about 40 miles out. And as is typical sometimes in the Gulf, a squall comes up that we weren't expecting, and man, the waves really get rough, you know. You're just kind of rocked back and forth in the boat. You get a little sick. I've got three sons, I'm sorry. You know, you're hanging over the side chumming for fish right now. And a big wave hits and you are thrown overboard. And the waves are so big now that that the boat is separated from you by a wave, and all of a sudden you are in the ocean 40 miles away from the land, and I throw this to you. Now, what do you think about it? Suddenly, everything changes. But why? Well, because I'm going down for the third time. That's why. And this can save my life. You see, the context matters. We have born to us a Savior. But until you understand why you need a Savior... It's just a fun story recorded in the Bible. And so today I want to answer the question, why do we need a Savior? Now, there's a passage of Scripture in the Bible that clearly outlines that for us. The Apostle Paul is writing to the church at Ephesus. And in Ephesians chapter 2, he tells us why we need a Savior. If you are a child of God, you're a Christian, you've accepted Jesus as your Savior, you've met him, Paul describes in chapter 2 what your life was like before that moment happened, before you accepted Jesus, and in doing so, describes why you need a Savior. In this passage of Scripture, in fact, we're going to look at verses 1 through 9, and over the next few weeks, we're going to be returning to this same passage of Scripture, answering numerous questions. Not only why do we need a Savior, but why would He become our Savior? Why, why, why would He come? We're going to look at what He did and how that impacts our life. But for our time together today, look with me, if you will, beginning with verse 1 of chapter 2, and we'll read down through verse 9 together, and then um, we'll focus our attention on the first few verses in answering the question, why do we need a Savior? And you, he says, were dead in your trespasses and sins 
in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. So, uh, among them, we too all formerly lived in the lust of our flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus so that that in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith and not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not as the result of works, so that no one should boast. And these may be familiar words to many of you if you have been a student of the Bible, or at least one or two of those verses. But in this passage of Scripture, Paul writing to the church at Ephesus reveals to them why they need a Savior. Now, his words are harsh and, and difficult, really. He pulls no punches. My dad would probably say his words are as strong as a hog's breath. Now, that brings a vivid picture, doesn't it? These words are harsh. And sometimes we don't like them. Because Paul is saying something about you that is not nice. He's saying something about you that upon first hearing it, we cringe and say, well, that might be appropriate for other people, but not me. That, that's not really me. But Paul says, oh, yeah, it is. Three things he says that allow us to recognize why Jesus came. First of all, he said the reason Jesus came, number one, is because you are dead. <laughs> That's how he begins it. You're dead. You're gone. You're finished. Dead means there's nothing you can do about the situation you're in. Ultimately, when he says you're dead, he's not talking about physically because we know we are physically alive. Paul is talking about spiritually, and he says you are spiritually dead. And if you are spiritually dead, there is nothing you can do to bring about life. Dead people can't fix the situation that they are in. Ultimately, when Paul uses that term, he is simply saying, you're in the worst possible condition you can be in, and guess what? There's nothing on earth you'll ever do to fix the problem that you have. It is a problem that cannot be remedied on your part. You are dead. Now, he even goes one step further and tells us why we are spiritually dead. He said, you are dead in your trespasses and sins. The word trespass is an interesting word. It really can translate to, to slip or fall from the right path. The idea is that Paul said there is a right path that we are to walk. And for whatever reason, you have either wandered away from the path, you have slipped off the right path, you have fallen away from the right path, 
And it may have been intentionally that, that, you, that you rebelled against God and the things of God that are the right path, or it might have been that, that you just inadvertently wandered away. I mean, the old prophet says, all of us like sheep have wandered away, each one into our own way, our way as opposed to God's way. And Paul says, as a result of leaving the right path, you are on a path to death. You're dead. And there's nothing you can do. You can't correct. You can't come back. You can't fix what's happened. You're dead in your trespasses. And, he says, in your sins. Now, the word sin that he uses there is a word that literally means to miss the mark. It's captured by the image of a person shooting an arrow with a bow. Many of you have had the opportunity to do that, and I've been a bow hunter for a lot of years, but my first introduction to a bow and arrow was in school. And some of you may remember back in the day when we went to school and we used to have a course called physical education. We had PE and, and there were a lot of different things that we would do in PE. And one of the things that we did in the elementary school that I was in is we had a little section on a bow and arrow and we had some, some, some bows and arrows and they would put a target up kind of on an easel like this. And, and, and it had concentric circles and the bullseye was in the middle. And, and we were taught how to put the arrow on the bow and, and draw it back and, and shoot. You, you might remember that. Well, the word sin means to miss the mark. It means that the mark of perfection is the bullseye, and I missed it. Now, what's really interesting is that some people in those early days of my physical education would miss the mark, and there was no question that they missed the mark because they didn't even hit the target, right? I mean, the, the arrow didn't even come near here. It, it might have landed a few foot in front of them. It might have gone to one side or under or over, but it didn't even touch the target. There was no question that they missed the mark. Now, the mark of sin, when the Bible says you have missed the mark, the mark is perfection. You know what I've recognized? There are some people, there's no question in our mind, they've missed the mark. Man, they didn't even hit the target. When we talk about those who are sinners, names like Adolf Hitler come to mind when we'll say, well, man, I want to tell you what, he didn't even hit the target, dude. That guy, he, if, if you're shooting an arrow at perfect, that guy doesn't even come close to it. But you know what I've discovered? There are others that do come close. They hit the target and some get closer than others. And some may get really close to that perfect mark. But what Paul says when he says we are sinners, he is saying none of us are perfect. None of us have hit the mark of perfection. We've all missed it. Even if we missed it by just a little bit. And you know what's really interesting? I've discovered the people that miss it by a little bit are normally in this room. They're normally people that go to church. And we look at ourselves and say, but I, I know I'm not perfect, but if you're going to put me and Adolf Hitler in a room together, he didn't even hit the target. I at least hit the target. And in fact, I've lived a good life. I've done good things. 
I've accomplished great things. I come to church every Sunday. I tithe. I give. I live my life to the best of my ability, and I trust God. And, and I, I feel pretty good about where I'm at on the target, even though I know I'm, I'm not perfect. And the problem is there are a lot of us that are in this room that somehow think God owes us heaven. I know I'm not perfect, but you know what? I I gave it my best shot, so when I die, I should go to heaven. I should. I didn't miss the target completely. I'm closer than other people are. But you know what Paul says? You're dead. You're done. You've missed the mark, and the only person that goes to heaven is a person that hits the center mark of perfection. And you've missed it. And I want to tell you something. He's not talking just about the people that are not in this church. He's talking about you. Paul has the audacity to say, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Not just all sinners who are outside and hate and rebel against God. He says, everyone has sinned and come short of the glory of God. All of us are sinners. All of us have missed the mark. And because we've missed the mark, and because we are transgressors of the law of God, because we have trespasses in sin, we are dead. And there's nothing you can do to fix it. It's amazing to me. I feel like I need to stop here. Because it's amazing to me how many of you will shake your head and say, I get it, yes, but you live as if you have somehow earned favor with God. And so I want to just camp out here for a minute and make sure you understand that for those of you who have accepted Jesus, Paul is saying this is who you were before you came to Christ. Do you understand? You weren't halfway down the road when you accepted Jesus. You weren't better than anybody else. You were dead. And there was nothing you could do about your situation. Well, not only does he say you're dead in your trespasses and sin, he also says there's another reason that the Savior came. He came because you were dead and there was nothing you could do to fix the situation you were in. But he also says you were dominated. And if you have never accepted Christ, he said you are dominated by something else. In other words, he's saying this, you're not really in control of your life. Some of you think that you are in control of your life, and Paul says, no, you're you're not. You never have been in control of your life. We are dominated in the world that we live in, and he even says that we are dominated by three different things. First of all, he says you are dominated by the world. The world that we live in determines the direction that we go. Our behavior is often determined by our culture, our attitude, our habits, our preferences, our desires. Years ago, Charles Swindoll wrote a book called Living Beyond Mediocrity. And in that book, he, he suggested that the, that the ideology of the world, a worldview, captures, if you will, four thoughts. He says that what matters in the world that we live in today is fortune, fame, power, and pleasure. And that most people live our lives in pursuit of one of those things. We're in pursuit of fortune. If we could just get more money, 
everything will be all right and our life is dominated by the pursuit of resources. Our life is dominated by, by the impact of those resources on our life. Some are in the pursuit of fame, other for power, the majority for pleasure. It's all about what's in it for me and what I can have and what I want. And, 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 and I think Chuck might be right if we could confine the, the, the principles of the world to those things. You and I are under the control of something beyond us that pushes us in a direction to find happiness and confidence in life in ways that we'll never find it. There is a world view that dominates our thinking. And that worldview is in opposition to God's view. It's in opposition to the Bible and what the Bible teaches and what the Bible stands for. But he also says that we're not just dominated by that worldview, we're also dominated by Satan. There is a God of this world. In the text before us, he says, or refers to the kingdom of the air. Uh, among those two, you formerly lived in the, the lust of the flesh, indulging in the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, even as the rest. According to the prince of the power of the air, he says. Now, what does he mean by the prince of the power of the air? He's talking about Satan. Well, what is the power of the air? Well, you have to understand in Paul's day, there were three ways in which you could use the word heaven. There was the heaven that you see by day where the sun and um, clouds are, the atmosphere that surrounds our world. There is the heaven that you see at night where the planets are and the stars are. And there's the heaven that you see by faith where God dwells. Well, of course, if he talks about the kingdom of the air, he's talking about the heaven that we see by day. He's talking about our atmosphere, where the air exists that we breathe. He's talking about the world that we live in and ultimately saying that Satan is the God of this world. And as the ruler of the kingdom of the air, we are slaves to him. If you've never accepted Jesus as your savior, you're under the control of a system that the world has in place and Satan, who is the God of this world. A worldview that is contrary to God in his way. And here's the reality. There's nothing you can do about it. You're under his control and, and you, you can't fight that. We even understand that as Christians, don't we? Because we have discovered, even as children of God, we can't even live the Christian life in our own strength and power. I can't do it. Paul describes the trying of it that all of us can identify in Romans chapter 7. Paul says, you know what? I find the struggle that I have as a Christian is the very thing I say I'm going to do is the thing I end up, I'm not going to do this. That's the thing I end up doing. And the things that I say I'm going to do, I don't do. And, and I struggle, oh, wretched man that I am, who can deliver me? And he ultimately says, only Jesus can. The only way I can live the life that God wants me to, I can't even do it in my own. And if I don't know God as my Savior, I have no hope of ever living beyond 
a life that is contrary to the purpose and plan that God outlines. So he says, listen, this is why you need a savior. You're dead. You can't fix it. There is nothing you can do. There is no hope if it depends on you to fix the spiritual problem and mess that you are in. You are dominated by a worldview that governs everything about you. You are dominated by Satan who is the God of this world that will lead you in a path that is foreign and against everything God stands for. And ultimately, he says, and the final thing that dominates our life is what Paul defines as our flesh. We can really define it as our, our sinful nature. What he wants us to understand is this. You are a sinner. All have sinned and come short of the glory of God, the Bible says. You are a sinner by nature and by choice. I am a sinner because I have chosen to disobey God. I have done things on my own out of willful disobedience to the commands of God. But I am a sinner not just because of what I've done. I'm a sinner because I was born into a sinful world. My parents are sinners. I inherited a sin nature. And you are a sinner by birth. You just inherited a sin nature. You were born into a sinful world, a sinner. And I think we all know that. That's, that's the reason that you never have to teach children their sinful nature. It's just natural. You ever notice that you don't have to teach children to be rebellious? They come here with a predisposition to be rebellious, right? And they become rebellious when they kind of come into our own. We, we recognize at about the age two, when a child begins to kind of recognize that they're independent and have an independent thinking, suddenly they come into their own and we call it the terrible twos because what they're saying is no. And you didn't even have to teach them to do that. You didn't teach them to be rude. You didn't teach them to be obnoxious. In fact, isn't it true that we spend all of our time trying to, to undo what is already naturally done in them? You don't have to teach a child to lie. They just know how to do that. And they learn early, don't they? I, I mean, they don't learn, they just know early on when you confront them, did you do that? I mean, at a, at a three-year-old, they can look at you and say, no. Did you get into mama's makeup? No, it's all over their hands, it's all over their face, it's in their hair, and they're gonna look right at you and say, no, I didn't do that. Who taught them to do that? It's a part of their nature. In fact, the Bible says we take after our father, the devil, who is a liar and a thief. You don't, even, you don't have to teach children to cheat. Have you ever noticed that? My grandchildren, a lot of times I'll play games with them and they cheat. And so sometimes I cheat too. <laughs> but you don't have to teach them to do that. They just kind of learn that, wait a minute, I spin the dial and it says two and you spun it and it said five and that's not really fair, so I'm gonna go five. Or I'm gonna push it one when you're not looking. You have a sinful nature. You know what Paul says? Let me tell you why you need a savior. 
You're dead spiritually. There's no life in you. And there's nothing you can do to, to create life in yourself. Apart from a Savior, you're, you're hopeless. That, that, that's why you need a Savior. You need a Savior because you're doomed. You are, you, you are dominated by the world, by Satan, by a, a, a sinful nature. But you finally, he says, need a Savior because you're doomed. He mentions in this passage of Scripture that we are by nature the objects of wrath. Do you know what that means? That's the wrath of God. That means the reason you need a Savior is because you are an enemy of God himself. Many of you don't consider yourself an enemy of God. Oh, I'm not an enemy of God. I believe in God. I love God, all that. But that's not what he's saying. What Paul is saying is you, you, you fail to understand God is a holy, righteous God. Do you know what that means? It means he stands against anything that's not holy and righteous. And in order to continue to be holy and righteous, he must stand in judgment of anything that is not holy and righteous. And he stands in judgment of any who have transgressed his law and any who have sinned. And that's why the Bible says the wages of sin is death. The reason you're going to die is because you are under the judgment of God. You are a sinner and the punishment for sin is death and not just dying physically, but eternal death, separation from God. Never will you be able to enter into the presence of God because you are a sinner separated from God. You're under the wrath of God because you fall short of his standard. You didn't hit the perfect mark. So guess what? You don't get in. And it doesn't make any difference if you don't think that's fair. It doesn't make any difference how you try to justify your life. You are the children of wrath. You, because you live by different principles, the principles of the world, because you live under the power of Satan and under the sinful nature, you are enemies of God. In fact, John chapter 3, verse 36 says this, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, but whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath, he says, remains on him. God's wrath is on you. And if you reject Jesus, the wrath of God remains on you, and you'll spend an eternity separated from God. That's why we need a Savior. In fact, not only does he say the wrath and mention in terms of presence, but also present tense, but also in future tense. Romans chapter 2, verse 5 talks about the day of wrath when we will one day stand before God and be judged and separated eternally from him. Well, this is really bad news. You're going down for the third time. And you're seeing your life flash before you because there is absolutely no hope unless 
you have a savior. Why did he come? Because you're dead, because you have been dominated, and because you are doomed. We have a Savior that though we are dead will give us life. And though we are dominated will free us from Satan's sin and ourself. And will deliver us from the wrath that we deserve to walk into the forgiveness and new life in heaven that he makes available. If we simply accept him as our savior, forgiver, master. You know, the funny thing about these life-saving buoys is that in order for them to work, you gotta take hold of it. If you're going down for the third time and I throw this thing to you, it doesn't make any difference that it is real. It doesn't make any difference that it floats. It doesn't make any difference that it can save your life. It will not save your life unless you reach out and take hold of it. But if you reach out and take hold of it, it has the ability to save you. Jesus came to be our Savior because you are dead in your sins. And I want to tell you something. The reality of his coming means nothing unless you take hold of him, receive him. Jesus came to give us power and freedom from the domination of a system that destroys us, but it does no good unless we take hold of him. He came because we're doomed and there's no hope. And he came to give us hope, but it'll do you no good unless you take hold of him. And the Bible says if you'll believe on the Lord Jesus, you will be saved. You know why? We need a savior because you're dead, you're dominated and doomed without him. But today, you can have new life, freedom and forgiveness, and a place in heaven if you receive him as your savior. Would you just bow your head with me? This message is not for a handful of you. This is for all of us. The only difference is some of you, Paul says, this is the way you used to be because something has happened since then. You have reached out to receive the gift of eternal life. You've asked God to forgive you and come into your life. And he has saved you and he has become your savior. And you have life because of him. But there are some of you that are listening today and some here who have never made that decision. And it might be that you've not made the decision because you've always trusted in yourself. You thought, I've hit close enough to the mark. I mean, no one's perfect, but I'm as close as anybody else. And so you're banking 
your entire eternity on the reality that you're good enough and God owes you something. Well, the reason he came as a savior is because the only way you're going to make it is through a savior. And so today is your opportunity to admit, God, I know I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Come into my life. I accept you as my Savior. I receive your forgiveness. I accept you as my Lord, my Master. Father, all over this room and all over the globe, there are people that are listening and your Holy Spirit is speaking to their heart right now. Maybe for the first time they see themselves as they really are. Perhaps others have known this for a long time. And it's not a stretch for some to recognize I'm a sinner separated from you. So, Father, would you give them the courage right now to embrace and believe and trust you as their Savior? You and you alone. Father, would you hear their prayer even as now they say, God, I'm sorry for my sin. I turn from it to you. I can't save myself. But I thank you, Jesus, that you are my Savior, and I I receive you as my Savior and my Lord. And even as they offer that prayer, I know you've heard them, and I thank you that you have given to them eternal life, an opportunity to walk with you. And Father, if there's a person in this room who thinks everything's okay, but really if things are not okay, would you, Holy Spirit, reveal to them that maybe they have placed their trust in themselves and not you? That's why in all of this, you finally says, look, it's not by works of righteousness, not by what I do that we go to heaven. It's because of what Jesus has done. So help all of us to get to the place where we trust that only is our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. From everyone at Southcliff Church, thank you for joining us today. If you would like more information about Southcliff Church, please go to southcliff.com to share a testimony of how God has encouraged you through this ministry. Send an email to scpodcast at southcliff.com. That's scpodcast at southcliff.com. Click the Give button on our webpage to discover how this ministry is supported. Your financial gifts help accomplish the mission God has given us.